everybody who enters my space is treated the same with respect because this is what I always say and I'll tell them I'm one decision away from a jumpsuit just like they're wearing. Mic check, mic check. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beats. Tis I, your host, Ross Martinez. What's going on in the hot seat this week? Dr. Bernice Gordon-Young. She is the lead mental health provider at Peoria County Jail, founder of It Takes a Village, and also candidate for Peoria City Council at large. Bernice, what's going on? What's up? What's happening? It's Do in we the hot seat? Let me get this necklace. <laughs> we, this on, run we, DMC necklace. we have a run DMC gold chain that I think my mom bought for me for Fourth of July. She get well. I'm from Chicago originally, so wow. her and my dad came down for the Fourth of July, my first big event here. And they're like, "You need a chain." I'm like, "A real chain?" <laughs> She's like, "No, this is all you get. Prove it." And I was like, "All right." Well, Sure to leave it. You said hot seat, so I gotta get it right. Hot seat. Well, welcome into the podcast. Uh, we use this platform to get to know individuals in our community, things they've done. So after researching you, I had a couple people tell me I have to talk to you. Griseth Frasso, she's one individual who made sure we met. Shout out to her. But after looking into you, you do a lot. You've done a lot. You know, I don't even realize how much I've done. When people read my bios, they typically have to condense it, right? They're like, okay. We asked for like half a paragraph and you gave it three pages. But it's what I love. And so I don't even see it as work. It's just been a lifetime of just doing the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next need and just going for it. Who set that fire in you? My mother. You know. How so? I, I come from a family of service. You know, I remember being a little girl. You know, I'm from Memphis originally. So we came here when I was about four and a half, five, somewhere in there. I remember... 1976, I'm telling my age, I'll be 55 this year. But 1976, 77, one of those, there was this big blizzard, right? Huge blizzard. And I remember my mother stopping and helping people push through their snow, you know, when their cars got stuck. I just grew up where, you know, she never met a stranger and always helped people. And she always told my sisters and my brother and I, you always look out for others. And that's just where it's come from. Oh, so it's just natural to me. Who gave her that? I, I like to pry. You know, I think it's generational. You know, I, my grandmother was a woman of, like, forgiveness. You know, yeah, she's going to hold you accountable, but she didn't hold it over your head. Forgiveness is a hard thing. I, I believe it is. You know, we don't, I always say, we don't, unless you develop amnesia, you're not going to forget it. <laughs> Right? I'll forget, but I won't forget. Yeah. Right. I'll know you slapped me twice. <laughs> Forever to know that one. You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. You know, if we don't release it, this is the therapy part of me, but it's human nature too. If we don't release it, well, it doesn't hurt you, then I'm mad at you. It's it like the, um, what they say, the old adage, people think you have two when you're mad. It's like a call in your hand. Some people think you have two options. Chuck it at somebody so it's out of your hand. Or hold on to as long as possible. Mm -hmm. But you can just drop it, yeah, which is hard. Process. It depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. you know? But I just come from that. I come from um, just friends. You know, I've been blessed in that I've just been, I believe in the law of attraction now, but I've just been around some good people that mm -hmm. want to make a difference. It doesn't matter how much you have, how much you don't have, your educational level. It doesn't take a whole lot to be kind. No, one small act of kindness is really all we need nowadays. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially coming out of the pandemic, we're kind of all socially <laughs> deprived. We're kind of all getting back into the swing of things. Right. 
all the craziness of the world kind of colliding all at once. There are some people that, you know, they did well during the pandemic. Yeah, I wasn't one. (laughs) (laughs) Two months was good. Yeah, but people who are like, you know, I'm an introvert. I'd rather stay to myself. Yeah. You know, especially our young people. A lot did well with the online learning. I, I couldn't. I, I remember just being out of work, and at the time, who I was dating, I was just always with her, always with my family, yeah. and not seeing friends. Oh, <laughs> like I would Facetime friends, be like, "Drink something, I'll drink something." Yeah, they're like, "It's ten in the morning." I'm like, "Bro, we're, we're we got nothing else to do." They can do what they do, right? But that was three years ago. Can you believe it? Like around this time is when we globally locked down. No. Mm-hmm. I was looking at, you know, the Facebook memories that pop up, right? Mm-hmm. And just yesterday I saw where I posted something along the lines of um, being an essential worker doesn't make us better than you, you know, because you get to stay at home or we have to go to work. You know, we all have a role in this. But that was three years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Well, the term essential worker kind of became a meme with our young kids. Or, I mean, not young. Wow. Way to, way to make myself sound old. But like the younger demo, once they saw that, I mean, Gen Z, they don't care. Yeah. They're going to speak up. Oh, yeah. They're going to let you know. Mm-hmm. But there's it's a divide from a Gen Z millennial where Gen Zs are so vocal. And I love it. Oh, yeah. But how did we get that generational? Like, they took a ball and ran with it. Like, no, nah, no, nah, we don't like that. Right. You know, and, and there's parts of it that I absolutely love. You know, hmm. I love the boldness. You know, I love connect, seeing people collectively come together. Not mm-hmm. that every generation hasn't done that. But basically saying, you can't dictate to us what you think we need. Yeah. We're going to tell you what we need, you know, and just going for it, stepping outside of the box. I love to see it. So you've done a lot of work with mental health. Mm-hmm. What got you down that path? 28 years in the field, right? And truthfully, um, I'll, I'll make it a quick story. So I was working as a 911 dispatcher. I had my bachelor's degree. And one of my coworkers, I told her, she said, what are you going to do next? Like, I don't want you to stay here. You know, I, when I started this job, I was going to go back to school. And I never did. And she said, she said um, what are you going to do next? And so I just said it, just to be saying it, uh, I'm going to get my master's degree. In which I had promised my father that, you know, when he was dying. But I really didn't have a plan for it, right? Mm-hmm. But she kept, every time I go to work, every day, she'd say, so do you know what you're going to study yet? You know where you're going to go yet? Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, really? And so, <laughs> so I went up to Bradley and got a catalog because I, I couldn't keep telling her, you know, well, I'm going to check into it. Got a catalog, and uh, that was before Internet. Okay? <laughs> and, and so I started thumbing through, like, what am I going to tell her? I'm going to tell her something today. And I looked, and I stopped at... Um, mental health counseling. And as I was reading the criteria, I said, well, I already do half of this stuff. This is what I already do. You know, meaning I've always been that friend. You know, my friends will tell you ever since like third grade, I'm the one that you can tell the secret to. Uh, I'm the one that's going to listen to you. I'm the one that's going to remember that you were having a rough day and check in with you. And I've always been so you're empathetic. Yes. Very, very much so. But, but here is the, but basically, um, student loans kicked in. You know, so and this was before I actually went back to school. Um, student loans kicked in. And I'm like, oh, I need a second job. And I looked and I saw um, an ad in the newspaper that said um, counselor, residential counselor for pregnant and parenting teens. Well, I was a teenage mom, so I thought, well, you know, I've gone to college. I think I can help these girls. 
So I applied and I was hired and absolutely loved it. What did you love about it? I loved it. I love being able to talk to some to, to girls who felt like they did, that had lost hope. You know, they didn't realize necessarily that, okay, yes, you're a young mom. And, and you know, and these are the girls who they are in the system for whatever reason, whether they have been abused or whether they have been abandoned, but they didn't have anywhere else to go. And so, but just when I was getting acclimated to it, the funding was cut. That's where funding is important, right? The funding was cut. And so, you know, so people were laid off and that. And one of the guys that I worked with previously said, why don't you come over here with the boys? And I'm like, boys, I'm a girl, right? A lot of us need that empathy. I'll be honest with you. When I tell you I not only tried it, I was there for seven and a half years. So what did you feel so connected with? It was one of the most rewarding things I've done in my entire career. And it really taught me how to work with men, uh, but also to understand like these cycles. What I recognized was they had a certain level of respect for me that they didn't always have for the other staff. Because I was only female staff um, for the most part because I worked with the older boys. And it was like I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to. Now, I had my fair share of, you know, you had to do some restraints and things of that nature when, when they were combative. But it was about relationships. I learned it was about relationships. I learned I could say, you know, Billy, okay, wh- what's up? Why you acting up? Come, come, come holler at me for a minute. Well, a lot of right? men have mother issues. Well, uh, is, let's right? put it out there. Right, right. We do. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe Billy is acting up because Christmas coming up or he has a visit with his family and he's nervous. You know, it's just these underlying issues. There's more to it. Mm-hmm. And I often say, in the work that I do with adults, they grew up. These are the kids that grew up, right? And so I understand how people get to where they are. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's their own choices. Sometimes it's a choice of those around them. I mean, sometimes life just throws you curveball after curveball and curveball, and you don't know how to hit it. That's right. And, and you know, it, when you start telling your age, or you know you're aging when the... The kids that you worked with, now you're working with their kids, right? Isn't that something? Yes. So you've had that experience where oh, you've ex- you've times. you've uh, mentored or at least been through therapy with the father, mother, and then now their child. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. do yeah. you see a correlation between the parents' issues and how it's passed down gener- generationally? Mm-hmm. Some things are environmental. Some things are genetic. You know. Um, but at the end of the day, I always look at it as an honor. You know, it's an honor. Because if the parents didn't trust me, they're certainly not bringing their kids to me. True. Right? And so many have come back. I have mentored them. They have done well. They live across this country. Some live here. It has been the most rewarding, you know, and, and, and reciprocal relationship, meaning, you know, I was a young therapist then. And so not only did they learn from me, I learned from them. So what did they teach you? They taught me patience. Mm. They taught me to not be reactive. They taught me to explore. And they certainly taught me to care beyond the circumstances. So how is it different um, helping young men and young women? Because I, I feel like there, there has to be a different way of, of reaching each with mental issues. Are you saying women versus men? Yes. For the most part, there is, but at the end of the day, it's relationship. You know, here's the beauty. Trust building. Yes, but but here's the beauty in what I do, 
And I, I like people, and, I, and people chuckle when I say that. But it matters. I really like people. I consider it an honor when someone comes to, I don't care if you're in the jail or you come into my private practice. It is an honor when someone says, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Or I've got some things going on. Or I'm struggling in this area. That's an honor because people don't have to trust you with their stuff. You know, mm -hmm. and I always think of it this way. I got one shot. I'm such an advocate for mental health. I want people to have therapy. So I've got one shot and if I blow it, they may never come back not to me or to any other therapist. Sounds like a lot of pressure. Because I do it and I've done it so long, it's not pressure because it's who I am. Hmm. You know, it is about being able to read people, being able to adapt to their personality. You know, so I'm pretty assertive, right? And so if I am talking to someone who's really super shy, you know, very hesitant, doesn't trust very well, well, my voice is going to be soft. Change the tone, yeah. make them feel more welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, if I'm talking to somebody who is aggressive, they are mad at the world, then I'm like, okay, look, hold on. Hold on, time out. <laughs> okay, I need you to breathe for a minute, and then we're going to talk. Just give me a minute, right? Yeah. But you just match people where they are. It's difficult sometimes to match certain energies, would you say? No, I say match energy. <laughs> oh, you know what? Then I will speak yeah. that back. But yeah. it, it is... I guess the big thing is meeting people where they are, not trying to get them to be where you're at. Ooh, that's big. Which yeah. is, we find that conflict in relationships uh, when it comes to intimate relationships, even family members. There's yeah. conflict where we're trying to, well, I meant this. Ooh, well, this is big. not what I felt. But, but you just said, it, it, meet people where they are versus where you want them to be. Because sometimes we rush that process. And just because person A got there in 20 minutes or in a couple of days doesn't mean that person B is flawed because it takes them longer. We hmm. all have a different journey and we all see the world through a different lens. Why do you think that is that we innately, because I feel like it could be a generalized statement where the general populace, we try to rush things, try to get the procedure to go quicker. Well, you know, if, if I just go off the top of my head, I'll say this. I think we're living in a microwave society. What do you mean by that? That everything is quick, you know. Quick access. Yes, everything is quick access. You know, you, if you want some information, just, you know, log into the computer or log into your phone. You know, you don't have to. You can go an entire day when it's not necessarily getting out your car. drive throughs <laughs> Yeah. Uh, maybe once or twice you get in and you get out. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might have to go in a building, but I'm just saying. Not you know? even that. Uber Eats, uh, Grubhub. Yeah. You have different grocery systems that will drop it off at your door. Right. You don't have to do nothing. No, no. So, mm. But I just think that we have become a society of convenience. You have know? you seen throughout the years, specifically speaking about Peoria, have you yeah. seen that microwave effect take over full force? Or is it still like, mm. you know, yeah. simmering? <laughs> well, you know, see, being here, from here, well, I grew up here. I've just seen so many changes. I grew up on the south side of Peoria, right? And when I grew up, there was so many opportunities. So initially we lived in, in the Mangan Manors. And then we felt like we had really arrived because we bought a house across the street on Lincoln Street. Uh -huh. So we were so connected still. But either way, we could walk up the street and we had, um, we had Chad's Chicken. Then we had 
Dale's, that was a grocery store, a smaller grocery store. And then you go across the street to Madison Park, and there was Kroger, there was Hornsby's, there was J&D Yarn Shop. We used to get our beads for our hair or yarn for, you know, little arts and crafts. There was a laundromat. There, there was Kenny's Shoe Store across the street from that. So local upon local oh, upon local. You, you go down a little further where uh, Cornerstone, Church, Cornerstone Church is. That was a grocery store. That was Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. And so, there, you know, and then after Kenny's Shoe Store, it was Payless. You know, and then you go down the hill. There was Dell Farm where the, was it? I don't even know what it's called now, but it's a hair store, Western and Lincoln right there. You know, and that was a grocery store. You know, it was, you know, there was a... Uh, Burger King, all these different restaurants, um, and, and access walking distance to go to these places, right? And then here's the other piece, and I think this is huge in terms of community. We lived in the district in which we attended school. I think that is huge, yeah. Yes. And, you know, I, I went to a couple of schools early on, but I landed at Ting. And so I was at Ting from, like, first grade through eighth grade. Well, now, I mean, they're still my friends. You know, we walked home together. We played sports together. Many of us went on to manual high school together. Relationships, you know. Building, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, and you know, you knew your neighbor. You knew your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You went to school together, and then you kind of, you know, after you got out of school, you did your homework, and you called each other up. Hey, can you come outside? And, and you walked, you know, to go play. Have you seen that evolve or devolve throughout the years? Well, well, here's what happened, you know, with, and, and I get it, but, you know, now we are busing students who live in one area to another area, and so they see their peers at school, but they don't see them in the neighborhood quite often, right? Hmm. Um, you know, the ice cream truck come down the street. They came down my street one time. I was I wanted to run out there myself just because I was happy to, to hear, you know, <laughs> the, the, the ice cream, you know, song. There were no kids outside. <laughs> I felt sorry for them. You know, I'm just saying. Because the kids are inside playing video games. That's the world in which we live, you know. Yeah. Just, we're just in a different time. And I think I do think it's important to evolve with time, but also to reflect on some of the things that did work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those things work, that sense of community, knowing your neighbors. I come from that time where by the time you walked home from school, which might have been, you know, half a mile or so, if you did anything wrong, somebody's mother, brother, uncle, <laughs> grandmother, somebody <laughs> told your mother before you got home. <laughs> it's, you know? it's interesting because I think I was born in 89, so I have the one of last few generations of kids that were both outside kids mm -hmm. and indoor kids. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and where we grew up eventually became very safe. But there were kings, SDs, a bunch yeah. of gangs all around. So I could only go from light pole to light pole okay. without my mom's eyes on me, no matter who knew me. Mm -hmm. And then I would be outside for a little bit. Yeah. She would take me to go play sports. I'd come back and play video games uh -huh. because that was our way of kind of being entertained mm -hmm. with not being out on the scene. Yeah. So it's always interesting when people speak about video games because mm -hmm. I have a good growing up. Like, I, what was it? Uh, I have a good connotation with it because yeah. it was an escape away from all the craziness in the neighborhood. But then there are some neighborhoods where, you know, it was a good neighborhood, but you still play video games. Right. So it's just always interesting when video games are brought up. Mm -hmm. And which is not necessarily a negative, but I, I do think that, you know, moderation. I think everything in moderation. Right. 
Even a relationship. Hey, baby, what up? <laughs> need a little space, right? You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right. I need my I need my man cave. Oh, I'm all for man cave. I am. I think every husband should have a man cave for the record. Well, I think everyone. I got a she cave. <laughs> she cave. What was it a she shed? Is what uh, somebody used to call it. Yeah. Well, everybody needs their personal space, even in an intimate relationship. I feel that you both need an area where you can be like, all right, I might not like you right now. (laughs) I still love you, but I need some time to decompress. That part, decompress. I talk to people all day and love it, right? When I come home, I need to go, okay, Mm -hmm. you know what? And there's this unwritten conversation this unspoken conversation that my husband and i have and he knows he just let you be for a little bit yes and and he's the same way well you had like with everything you're doing we were talking uh, before the mics got on about how you were working at osf for mental health a psychotherapist was it and then now you're working as a lead mental health provider at peoria county jail which that's a big change it is (laughs) because like what's the biggest change with going between those two positions Huge. It's a completely different culture. It is, it, absolutely. So, okay, <laughs> at OSF, you know, I had, like, fluffy pillows and butterflies on the wall and smell of potpourri. Were you working with more children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, child and adolescent, that's who I was with. But you don't work with children without working with the adults in their lives, right? So, I worked with, the, um, with their parents and guardians. I also had some adult clients that I would bring in um, just because they couldn't, whatever, right? Um, but... Or they needed some assistance in working with the child. But when I made the decision to go out to the jail, at that time, there was a gap in services there. And they didn't have someone. So that is an accumulation. Now, now oh. there was a crisis. They did have people that came in daily. And they came from the juvenile um, correctional center next door, right? Um, huh. But So they went in, like if somebody was on suicide watch or if there was a crisis, they would handle that. But managing the day-to-day... That wasn't, it was being handled, but there was a backlog on it, right? Well, yeah, because you have someone filling multiple positions. Absolutely, yeah. Which I feel like that's like doing, you do an ABC here, and then now you got to flip your complete mind, Uh whereas these people are, I'm not dealing with incarcerated or people in juvenile detention. I'm dealing with people that haven't had that life path. Oh, yeah. You know, but the main thing was the beauty in it all. Right, when because I was at OSF for fifteen years and loved it, I loved it. Fifteen, fifteen years and absolutely loved it. I mean, I advocated for OSF. I did a lot of their media. I mean, no, no negative comments. I loved OSF, right? But I felt like when I when I saw that email that I t- like I said LinkedIn, I typically wasn't clicking on it because I wasn't looking for a job and you know I was working on school and other stuff, and, you know, to just be browsing on you know all the platforms. But when I saw that, I thought, wow, I've already worked with individuals on parole and probation in my private practice. And, and so I'm working with people before they go into the jail, right? I'm working with people when they come out of prison. How about I go work with people while they're inside of the jail, yeah. right? And when I went, um, the positive was that I was given free reign to create what it needed to look like. Right, um, and so the system is at at minimum you really shouldn't have more than twenty four hour wait for services. But you know, in an emergency, you trump whoever's on the list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also 
realized there were services and there were themes that people needed. There was education that people needed. They needed to know that, okay, there's mental health court. You're in and out of jail and going to prison, but your mental health isn't being addressed. You can go to mental health court. If all of your convictions or your charges are drug related, you can go to drug court. That means rehabilitation, right? There's veterans court. You know, there's a huge population, um, and I said huge is, is a strong word, but there are a lot of people who are in jail that shouldn't be there. They're homeless, right? And mm -hmm. so we've got substance use, that's big. But I got to see all the variables that contribute to people being in jail repeatedly. And so with, with my research being on, recid on recidivism, oh, I saw it firsthand. You know, the average person, you know, education level is 11th grade. So what is happening, That's, you know, yeah. to people around this time or prior to where they're dropping out of school in 11th grade or they're getting expelled? Well, have you seen, like, a common denominator among yourself? Oh, absolutely. And what yeah. is that? Because one of the things that it, substance use. Substance but that has to tie to something else. Absolutely. Because people you know, who abuse substances are trying to escape uh, from what health. I've been told. Mental health, right? And so we have people who are self-medicating, right? Versus, okay, for example, if you have bipolar disorder and it's not diagnosed, you're not receiving medication to stabilize your mood, you don't know what's going on with you. The average person doesn't. They you find a reason to get high to bring a yeah. nice mellow. Yeah, absolutely, mm. you know. And so then, depending on what substance you are using, you know, there are some substances that will take you to a whole nother realm of who you once were. Yeah. Right? And now you're committing crimes. You know, you're doing whatever you can to get access to that particular drug or the money to get it, right? And so there's just this revolving door of people that are in and out without the proper treatment. Mm. And so this is an opportunity while they are, they're not clean, but they're dry meaning they don't have access to it, right? To have conversations with them, to have them sit across from somebody that cares, right? Yeah. Because at the jail, there's three different areas, you know, and, and every now and then I'll still get it. Well, y'all, I'm not a correctional officer. I am mental health. I'm here to help you, and they are too. My role is different. It's, it's, I mean, with validation of what you said, um, I had someone on the podcast a couple episodes ago, Angel Cruz. He oh. works uh, with recidivism. We work closely together. Yeah, she and he, his journey about how he wanted it to end, mm -hmm. and he found every reason to be put away. But there was always somebody there like, I can help you. Right. I can save you. And he's a big believer in God, and so am oh, I. Yeah. But he's like, I remember when he told me the story of somebody literally cleaned them up. And gave him humanity. Yeah. And for someone who never felt that he was worth something, yeah. he felt worthy in that moment. And it amazes me through all these episodes, I've talked to different individuals, different people among the community, some who have done like um, a Becky, Becky Rassum, uh -huh. PCAP, different individuals who told, yeah. tell me about people in the system, mm -hmm. how they're so misunderstood. I'm like, how do we get to the point in society where we just put people right here, label them, that's it? Yeah. You know, well, this is what I, I truly believe, though. This isn't easy work. Yes, when I say it's easy work, like this is what I love to do and I'm trained to do it and I'm very confident in what I do. However, it takes a special kind of person 
to sit across, I'm a Christian, to sit across from someone who has been charged with murder, you know, some of those violent crimes, and be compassionate and mm. listen to them. That's what we're taught. I see people, not charges. And it doesn't mean that those charges are, you don't have to be held accountable. Yes, you do. But do you need your medication? Do you need some coping skills? Because for some of these crimes, people are going to get out one day. And will they have the tools along the way to be a better person, be a more productive person when they get out? Somebody's got to be that person that's going to intervene and help. Somebody teach them how to rationalize. Yes. How to yeah. cope uh, productively. Making. Yeah. You know? And again, giving folks hope. You know, and, and, and that, that's a small percentage. You know, people who have those type of violent crimes. You know, a lot of them, you know, it's, it's selling drugs. It is, you know, um, domestic battery. It, you know, it, it, it runs the gamut. But everybody who enters my space is treated the same with respect. Because this is what I always say. And I'll tell them, I'm one decision away from a jumpsuit just like they're wearing. I mean, we all are if you think about it. I know, right? But I think about... When I'm talking to people inside the Perry County Jail, I don't speak with any level of arrogance as though, oh, I'm better than you. No. I'm a person who is here to assist you, but what I won't do is work harder than the individual, no matter what office I'm in. Of course. You could could lead someone to the drinking hole, but they might not drink the water. Yeah, I can tell you where it's at. I can even describe what it tastes like. I'll give you a cup. But you've got to be the one to put it to your mouth. Was that something that was difficult for you to, because you seem like a very empathetic person, someone that can put themselves in someone else's shoes. Was that something you had to disassociate after so many years of doing this job? Or is it something that you kind of learn how to carpetamentalize a little bit better? You know what I mean? You know, I laugh because all the people that have come through my parole classes that I teach, as well as even with the kids back in the day, and even at the Peoria County Jail, they will say, she cool, but she don't play. <laughs> and so as, as empathetic as I am and as soothing as my voice may be, I can talk just like this and tell you to get it together. Oh, but I can see it in the eyes. Right? I felt it that right there. mama thing. <laughs> I right? felt it. <laughs> or, 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 you, or you up there going off on somebody, you know, and I, ride, and I walk up like, what, what we doing? Excuse me. That's all I would have to hear in that tone. I'd be like, <laughs> my, my shoulders you know, go up. They're like, huh, I'm right, sorry. Right, I didn't mean it, Mom. My, my right, bad. I'm, I'm giving folks tools, but at the same time, I'm going to call you on your stuff. But that has to be, um, what's the right verbiage for it? Not exhausting, but it has to be draining in a way. I love it, though. Yeah? I, you know what? Because I love what I do. Don't get me wrong, yeah. Bernice. Like, I absolutely love my profession, yeah. but there is a day or a week Sometimes on Fridays, <laughs> mostly on Fridays, when you get overloaded and you're like, God, grab me now, serenity. Now, there, yeah, so, you know, there are circumstances where the individual may be a draining, they're like, you're just doing too much. Well, someone that needs a lot of energy put into them innately will feel a little draining. Because yeah, that's where balance comes in. Yes. You know? But yes, they, you know, there's been one or two. I mean, not a lot. It's honestly, just honest. That's what it is. Honest, honestly, that, that I'm like, they didn't teach me this in school, or this is mm. new, right? And it's like, okay, when the entire staff, we just started to look tired because we're <laughs> tired. We have pulled out every coping skill, strategy, technique we know, and it's just not working. Medication, the whole thing. Okay, 
you know, and that's when you go, all right, I can't, I can't, you know, meaning not that I can't help you, but I can't allow myself to drown in it. You, know? you can't be overfilling their cup. Mm -mm, mm -mm, no. So, yeah, but for the most part, mm -mm. you know, I, I, I feel that I know that I am blessed to, I'm one of, like, I literally, I know what it feels like when people have said, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. You know? I can't and, agree and with that. it's a blessing, you know, where, I mean, whether it's Facebook inbox, you know, and, 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 and for my, my young people, my heart goes out because they're still looking for me, you know, and that was hard. That was hard to leave young people who trusted me, who confided in me, who needed me, you know. And even in that decision, I was like, well, I'll try to hold on. Maybe I can do both and all this stuff. And then, actually, someone said to me, um, 10 years from now, you're still going to have kids that are going to cry when you leave, right? And so they're not, some of these kids, are not used to leaving people or having people leave on good terms. And so that's also oh. teaching them, you know, that we can separate relationships and it be a good thing. Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. It's a form of separation anxiety because the one good constant they had is no longer Absolutely. there. So it's a fear of the unknown. Right. Because right. anxiety is what? Just fear of what might happen? Right. Yeah. And, and so and, and letting them know. Huh. And trust it. Have you had some really great success story success stories of individuals, youth that you've now seen grow into being oh, you know, yeah. well established? Yeah, yeah. Youth, um, individuals on parole that have just I mean, I'm I feel like the proud mother. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, and they did the work, but like I got to watch the journey, hmm. you know, of this life of destruction. And now they've turned their lives around. Or, especially our young people, the ones who were so misunderstood, you're the one that's getting kicked out of school all the time. I had um, a young man one time say to me, I happened to have been in his school, right? Just happened to have been there, in there. And he walked to the front and saw me, and he goes, Miss Bernice. And I was like, hey. He said, um, while you're here, he said, did you come for me? I said, hmm, no, I was here for something else. He said, okay, while you're here, can you five, go, go find any five students, right? Now, I can't identify, I won't identify the school, but it was a place where it wouldn't be hard. Go, go, just go find five students and ask them, do the teacher be messing with me, right? <laughs> now, he's not going to say that if he don't really, truly believe it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, the, I said, okay, right? But I didn't. But I believed him. It was the conviction in his eyes, his voice, like, I don't care who you go get. I'm telling you, they're going to tell you that this teacher is messing with me, right? So I said, okay. I said, well, I'll just talk to your teacher. She didn't like him. Huh. I talked to her. She didn't like him. And she didn't like him because he was disruptive. But it's she a was valid reason. Because he was bored. He, he was wasn't bored. engaged. Yes, he was bored because he was super intelligent, and he just had a high level of functioning, and he wasn't okay with sitting there with handouts. He wanted to be taught. So he acted out to get some type of response. You know, he was just like, okay, so he felt do anything in class today? That was what was considered acting out. You know, so he was calling her out. Mm -hmm. You know, so, huh. so there's so many different things that our kids and people go through that if we really know what's really behind it and underneath it, yeah, yeah. So it takes a level of patience from us. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about success stories, he's one. He's one. Now, with with yin comes yang. Mm-hmm. There has to be cases where you just felt like, oh, I could have done a little bit more. I could have, I should have. Do you ever have that at all? Mm-hmm. I've never had that. I've never had a case where, first of all, I don't take responsibility for folks' demise. I don't. Because if I take responsibility for your failure or, or responsibility for your success, then I better take responsibility for your failure, right? Mm-hmm. None of that is on me. Because that's hard for me. I've got. I won't lie to you. It's hard yeah. for me. Because <laughs> when, when I help my friends out and I've, the older I get, the easier it's becoming now. Yeah. But I definitely have that where I'm like, come on, man. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Not because I want the pride of it, but yeah. I believe so much in them. Oh, I get it. I totally get it. I'm, I'm all with you on that. You know, let's cheer. I want to see you win. Yeah. I mean, like, that's like my friends and I, that's our theme since we were kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you win, I win. We say all of that. When she can, you know, when she when she win, I win. I can, you can, all of that, right? Yeah. But here is the point. When it comes to um, my patience, you know, I, I, can't, I think it's very arrogant to think that I have some level of power to where I'm going around fixing people. Uh, See, I never viewed it as that. Hmm. I guess I've always viewed it more as um, providing stability. Provide the opportunities. I'll I'll provide the information. Ah, okay, I see. I'll support you along the way. Yeah. But mm -mm, you get the credit because you're the one that has to do the work. That's true. Hmm. Ah, look at that conversation. I like that. That was nice. (laughs) But it it is when when you speak when we have the opportunity to engage with dialogue when it comes to mental health. Yeah. Like we were talking off mic, what, last 15, 20 years? It's become oh. cool to talk about, acceptable. Oh, last yeah. 10 years, we've seen an, yeah. an explosion of Shout it. Shout out to the young people. Yeah. <laughs> I, call it, I call it young people. See, my daughter 36. So I call it young people, anybody her age and younger, right? Yes, yes, I made it. Yes, <laughs> you made it. Because you all are like, oh, let me, I'm just going to go talk to you know, my therapist. I'll call y'all later. We're very you know, open about it. Yes, and it's it is so cool. And, and and I say this specifically because what you know, when people first of all, it's it's a stigma because we keep calling it a stigma. Okay. And so if we can quit saying that, that would be helpful. But mm-hmm. it's, that's the reality. But but <clears throat> and you know, when they say, Well, do black people, do people of color go to therapists? Yeah, they go. You just don't know because you don't go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Lined up. But right has now. that number increased over the years? Yeah. Because I feel when, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I think it wasn't until when I'm 33 now, maybe when I was 26, 27, yeah. it became okay to kind of bring it up. Yeah. Uh, but growing up, mental oh, health, man. walk it off. Ain't wrong you with good? That boy. Yeah, <laughs> he right. good. He good. He'll outgrow it. <laughs> that part, that part. I don't know. He's going to do something right now. But yeah. being a, a man of color, also, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. being a Latino male, like, Right, right, right. I wrote the conversation and be like, yo, ma, I got anxiety. I might as well, like, I had the sex talk with it. Like, yo, (laughs) I feel more comfortable talking about that, my dude. The birds and the bees? Let's talk about that, ma. Let's not talk about why I'm anxious. (laughs) Why I got a tick, yo. (laughs) Generational trauma. Get out of here. No. What's wrong with you? You know? What you got to be depressed for? You know, get a job, right? get distracted. I'll be depressed at my job. Right. Not to mention, some things are just genetic. Yeah, you got it from your parents, you know, or your grandparents or somebody. But mm-hmm. it it amazes me that we are now at this stage of acceptability and mm-hmm. uh, not prevention, but kind of like 
Okay, it's a thing. Let's oh. let's really analyze what's going on in our world. You know what I tell people, especially at the jail. You know, because some people are hesitant. Let me, let me give you the story. So typically, um, I like I don't sit down very often at the jail. I, I walk, and so I like the one like the, the pods where I can look through and see people. So I'm walking, I'm waving, you know, I'm I'm, I'm at, you know putting the thumbs up, make sure everybody's okay. Facetime. And um, mm-hmm. and so um, so one time this was maybe about four months ago. Um, this guy put in to see me, you know, he put in the kiosk, you know, to request mental health, right? And so he said to me, he said, I watched you. He said, I don't trust people. He said, I watched you. He said, I watched you. He said, you walk in throughout the day and you waved at everybody. When somebody asked and knocked on the window and asked to talk to you, you always went to the window. And a lot of people don't do that because like put it on the kiosk unless it's an emergency. Um, and he said, and when you said you would come back and talk to that person, you always did. And I thought to myself, that's that one shot I'm talking about. Because what if that was the person who said, you know what, let me, ta- let me tap and see if I can talk to her too. And that was the moment when I said, put it in the kiosk. Right? Maybe he can't mm-hmm. read or can't, can't spell to put it there. Right? Maybe he can't use the computer. I don't know. Right? But, but, but he said that to me. He said, I've never talked to a, a therapist. I don't trust people, you know, but I watched you. Mm. And so I think of it that way, too. You know, that people are, especially when we're talking about our mental health, this is very, people, you know, it's guarded, what you've gone through. The people watch me. You know, how do I treat other people? Yeah. You know, am I someone who's out here gossiping about folks? I tell you this, you wouldn't be uh, 28 years in the game if you're telling folks business. Right? That's true. You're saying Mm-hmm. I, I, that license costs a whole lot of money. <laughs> you, know? you ain't trying to catch a case. I ain't trying to listen. <laughs> I ain't telling nobody business. But it's it's interesting when you say that because for my profession, mm-hmm. I am a people person. Yeah, I have to be. Yeah. The minute I step out of my apartment, it's on. Right. So I can only envision how your day is. <laughs> Because by the end of my day, I like my phone off and I'm there with my dog. Like I, it's not that it exhausts me. It's just I give so much because uh-huh. I love what I do. Right. So like I have my coping ways of kind of recharging yeah. the pill. Yeah. I spend hours on in the dog park because you know what? <laughs> I like dogs more than humans. Analyze that. Now, um, but you know, it always amazes me people that deal in the mental health department. Mm-hmm. Of how you guys are, guys and girls are yeah. able to push forward. You know what? Um, I always say this. The mental health field can draw some very unhealthy people to it. Not just as clients. As professionals, right? Oh. Oh, heck yeah. You know, n- not all of us. Like savior this. complexes? Well, some people. Huh. You know, or some people. It's not even a savior complex. It is they've experienced certain things in life. And they recognize how they have experiential um, training just from life to be able to help the next person. You know, example would be an individual who may have had a history of um, substance abuse or substance use disorder, right? And, and they pulled it together and they got their life together. So they can go out and really identify with someone, of, you know, the same challenges, right? But again, regardless of that, if we don't take care of ourselves, you know, when I go into a session, like I am in, like I'm in your world. Like I literally go there. Eyes, yeah. I'm in there. I'm locked in. I mean, your inner, all of that, right? Like I said, you know, I can't, like, 
in order for me to truly understand what you are experiencing, it just naturally happens. I'm listening to you with such intent, and I can be sitting back laughing and, and all of that with you, but I'm in your world. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, you know? Like, I have my hand on my, like, I'm not even paying attention, but I'm analyzing everything. I'm a body language person. Mm-hmm. I read yeah. body language. Yeah. But, but see, with that, there are some very dark things that people hold. Oh, yeah. There are some very painful. I can feel the energy in that space. And, and, and the goal is that when we're finished, you feel somewhat relieved. Yes. You know? And, and so where does some of that, where, where is it released to? Well, it's released in the air, right? Okay, so we think there's this, this rainfall of, of trauma in this space. Well, the rainfalls are trickling, sprinkling down. Yeah. It's touching me too, <laughs> right? And so I have to be aware of that. That is why I meditate at least three times a day. In the morning, I start my day off meditating just to ground myself. Because I want to go into these spaces strong, committed, self-aware, you know. And then midway through, I'm getting the toxins off of me so that I don't contaminate the next person with somebody else's infection. Energies are transferable. Yes. Through everything, yeah. whether a handshake, a hug, or intimacy. Right. You, you definitely receive a lot of energy. And before I go into my home. I ain't carrying that mess in my house. <laughs> no, I'll sit in the car for a minute. You know, it, I I do love the fact you can do that because that's something I've always admired about my father. Yeah. No matter the day he's ever had. Yeah. Uh, and this is my, he's one of my biggest mentors because, you know, a father-son relationship is yeah. huge. And I just remember him always coming home, even to this day. Like, I'll call him and it's like it's a switch. Wow. Like, yeah, what's going on? Hey, what's up, man? What's up, guy? <laughs> and I've always admired people that can do that. Because mm-hmm. I try my best to. But there's some days where I'll go home and I'll vent to my dog like, Rocky, they got me messed up, my man. And he'll just be looking at me all dumb and goofy like, yeah. yeah. Now, 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 hold on, now, let me not paint the picture of, you know, it's all rose, you know, butterflies and unicorns. Of course you not. Know, you know, but but to your point. That even that, you know, when I say meditate, I don't mean sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce, you know, like mm, I don't mean that. What I, I got mean chunky is, thighs. I can't do that. <laughs> 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 but you know, when you when you have to say, okay, really, okay, let me let me go over here and sit down for a minute because that's me with um, a change is gonna come by Sam Cooke. If I'm stressed, Ooh, I put sing? that. I wish I could. Oh man, God made me funny and not be able to sing. <laughs> He's like, you can't be Ruben Stutter, the Mexican version. You know what I mean? You, you know, you got to pick a lane, brother. If I can sing, ooh, uh, I serenade every woman out there. Like, girl, let me tell you. I, you know, if I what you're looking for is yeah. real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm singing lessons. I'm just saying. All right. Say less. I put it on my Hinge profile. Like, what's up, now, baby? I could do the singing lessons because, you know, we'll be a hot mess together. <laughs> but that's how you build trust and community. Ha! I, I was in choir in, in church and in high school. For hell. All the best singers come from church. Well, it was like eight members in our church, you know. When I was well, you know, we don't have the so semantic sound. You know what I mean? You were the greeter. You were, the greeter. <laughs> you, you were, I mean, hey, it's all good. It was wonderful. <laughs> you were the greeter. You were in the choir. Um, what else did we do? We we served uh, lunch. Um, we did it all. We cleaned up. Yeah. So a lot we of your. like eight members for us. So your empathy and servitude started at the church. Or at home. home. 
home. Because a home life does have a lot to do with how an individual kind of just navigates their life. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I come from that house where my mom gave birth to four children, but I think I have 8,672 cousins that live. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just that house. You know, where my mother, and, and, and mom's doing great, um, worked at Caterpillar when I was growing up. And before she, and she worked second shift, before she went to work, my mother cooked us breakfast before she went to, um, so she'd get up super early. So when mm. she worked first shift, she'd get up at like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Who doing that? But anyway, so she, Not would, I. she, <laughs> she would cook us breakfast. We, we Every now and then we might have had cereal, but for the most part, she cooked breakfast. And, um, and then she, she cooked, a lot of days she cooked dinner before she went to work. Right? Mm-hmm. And then when she went mm. to second shift, my mother not only cooked for her children, she cooked for children in the neighborhood enough for whether our friends came over or kids were just hungry. She did, you know, and that was every day, every day, you know. So we had that house where you came over if, you know, if your parents were going through a tough time or it was a family member where, you know, because my mom's from Texas, where, you know, maybe they wanted to show them a different life, come up north kind of thing. They lived with us. What's the one thing you're thankful your mom instilled in you? Um, I say that there's so many things, but my mother said to me, wealth is measured by what's in your heart, not what's in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You know? You know what I'm saying? You know, and, and, and other, in other words, this, this is bigger. Life is bigger than me, right? Be kind to other people. But that, and, and she said that to me when I was in college and um, I was broke. I was. <laughs> I, I, I can picture where I was standing right now. I was, I was standing by the, tra- the railroad tracks. I wasn't gonna stand on them and lay down. Or nothing. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. That's not good for no, your health. They had a payphone over there by it for some reason. We had payphones back in the day. Yeah. And, and so I was calling collect because you know I, I wanted some money because we was going to the party. <laughs> and, and so she, you know, she like I just sent you twenty five dollars last month. My mother sent me $25 last month, and I made it last. I mean, once a month, I made it last. Anyway, but I wanted to go Aww, to the you football game, back there. the party, and get some McDonald's. See, you was trying to do the most. I was trying to flex. You was right? trying to. I, I, 25 in the pocket, everything. <laughs> All right, relax. Yeah, and so I was like, well, you know, I was like, well, I ain't really make your mom listen to that. And she was like, honey, yeah, yeah. She hit me if with, she jump off the bridge, you going to jump off it right, too? Right, Mama, right, I love that right. She hit me with, well, wealth is measured by what's in your heart, not what's in your Oh, what do you say to that? <laughs> they still don't pay my way, man. <laughs> you know what I did? I got really creative. Oh, yeah? I got really creative. I went to the party. <laughs> yes. Of course. I went to the party. I didn't get the McDonald's, but I went to the store, and I bought um, a loaf of bread. I had $5. Okay, the football game was like $2. I went to um, you know the party. I don't know how much it cost, but um, I went to I bought a loaf of bread for a dollar, and I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I got them a new honey package. <laughs> Struggle busting. Man, listen. And, and that's what I ate for about a week. That Meaning, I mean, I went to the cafeteria, you know, on, on campus. But them late nights. That's what you was eating. Yeah. So it taught me, it taught me creativity and how to be resourceful. It's the arts of the struggle. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. When you ain't got it, you're going to figure out how to get it. Yeah. But hopefully it's in a proper way. <laughs> I know, and then when my daughter was in college, I was like, Mom, why are you sending her money all the time? 
And she was like, well, she don't need to be down there struggling. Really? Grandparents. I swear. Because right? there's there's things. My, my dad's always been my dad. It don't matter yeah. who, who it is. But my mom has changed up so much and got us so, so like, like even them. more. You know what I mean? She's like, no, these are my babies. Or like, yeah. it, she'll yell at me about something and then I'll correct my nieces. She's yeah. like, don't raise your voice at them. I'm like, yo, <laughs> you just said it worse. <laughs> Grandparents, right. man, you I swear. How you used to talk to me when I was yes, yeah. she did. Yes, she did. <laughs> was it deniability? She let no. Um, before we wrap up, there's one thing I definitely we have not touched yet is the uh, it takes a village. You're the founder of the organization, nonprofit. Yes. Yeah. Take tell, take me through that. What is um, it takes village? What's the purpose behind it? How was it? Yeah come up all that let me hear about this oh i love it takes a village i love it i love it um one of my favorite things to do um it was started in 20 i founded it in 2016 and it came from a counseling session hmm. and it was a mom who brought her 17 year old daughter in um you know i'm gonna give a little more detail um just in terms of um demographics okay because there is this assumption when i tell this story and and i know it's an assumption because people have said to me you know um, but it was a white girl. They think it was a black girl when I tell this story. But it was a white girl who was my patient. Her mom said that she's, she, I think she's depressed because she's losing weight. And I said, okay. And it was like our second or third session. I can't remember specifically. But I said, well, let me talk to her. And she said, and so mom steps out. And I said, you know, what's going on? You know, you know, you're feeling sad. You know, all the, going down the checklist. And she looked at me and she said, Miss Bernice, I'm not depressed. I'm losing weight because I take my lunch home so my little brother can eat. Oh. And it's not that I had not heard such stories before, but that day it just hit different. And I said, I got to get out of this office and do more. You know, because <laughs> here's what's happening. People are coming to me for, you know, whatever mental health challenges they're having. I can give you some coping skills. I can say, read a book, go for a walk, talk to a friend, watch a funny video. But I'm sending you right back into the circumstances that brought you here quite often. You know? And so... I just sort of put it out there, um, and I started really small. I, you know, I, I Googled some stuff, and Emmanuel High School popped up, and I saw where Emmanuel was looking for um, equipment for their volleyball. And I'm thinking, they need money for it. I play volleyball at Emmanuel. I'm like, what are y'all doing carrying them? What are you taking them, the, the, the volleyballs to, to games and garbage bags? I mean, <laughs> what are we doing, right? Yeah. And so, and it had, I mean, it, the, the, the call for this money had been there for a while. So I just jumped on Facebook and was like, I started an organization called, I didn't even have it all together yet, called The Village. That's what I initially called it, The Village. And I'm trying to raise money for Manual High School to blah, 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 get these in. And that money came in within 24 hours. They that quick. They threw in the remaining, and they got their equipment. Yes. And so from there, it was the next task, okay? It was a, 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 a lady who had cancer, and she had these kids, and then we took care of her. Um, but then we really centralized and talked to um, Heather Young when she was the principal at Manuel, because I wanted Manuel, my school, my alma mater, to be the headquarters, and she was all on board. So we had a ribbon cutting, we officially adopted the school, and we, I mean, Jack and Jill, I mean, organizations, individuals, just loaded the school up with products. I mean, I'm talking- That's amazing. Yeah, toiletries, food, household items. So from there, we, you know, we went to the next school, and the next school, and then we, you know, we collaborated with various organizations. We, you know, one of our biggest collaborations was with um, Writing for a Saber Tomorrow, 
you know, and that was, um, you know, the, the officer. And, and so I was charged with the community um, engagement piece. We brought 200 organizations together. That is beautiful. To, for a back-to-school giveaway. We went to a different location every time. Um, but it just rolled into, you know, these, this big thing. We have an annual um, prom dress giveaway. You know, we just I've seen that. that. Yeah, yeah, we just had that two weeks ago. And it is just, it's, it's, it's empowering. Um, we just love it. We give away furniture now. Furniture. <laughs> We're getting phone calls from people saying, we know that you're not going to charge anybody for this and that you'll get it to the right family. You know, yeah. So it <laughs> just turned into this amazing love, your, love thy brother type experience. It's just self-fulfilling at this point. It takes oh, a village, like the absolutely. name in itself. Because people want to help. They don't always know how or, you know, they can follow through us and we'll True. make sure that it gets in the right hands. You know, we talk to, you know, we try, we even, we adopt teachers where, you know, because teachers got to come out of their pockets, you know, quite often. No, mm. we'll adopt you for the whole year. You call us when you need something, whether it's school supplies, whether somebody needs a uniform or whatever, we'll follow that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister is a teacher, and she I hear it all the time. Yeah. She's CPS, and oh, she's God bless that woman. Yeah, or uh, does she? I don't think she works CPS anymore. She did. Okay. She works at charter school, I think. Okay. She now, but I mean, I remember hearing stories, and I'm just like, damn, girl, like mm. <laughs> blessings upon you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially during the pandemic and all that. Ooh. Yeah, I bet your sister will say it's rewarding, but it's, that's tough work, and I think it's undervalued. Underappreciated. Maggie, I can tell Maggie loves reaching the kids, instructing. God knows she has so many pa- She's 10 years older than me, so she had patience <laughs> helping. She's mommy number two. She had oh, patience yeah. with me and my brother Bobby. And God, for, I mean, amazing <laughs> mommy number two. <laughs> right? right? Number but she'd be, she be looking at me just like my mom looking at me like, Maggie, stop it. I can't stand it. Start feeling convicted. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know what I did. Leave me alone, mom. Um, but I think this also speaks to the fact of the heart of Peoria. Because I will be fe- April 8th. I'll be here a full year now. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. April. Oh, one year? One year. Oh, yeah, it's, wow. it's gone by like that. Yes. But it's. What do you think of Peoria? I think Peoria has a big heart. I, I do miss having, you know, a 2 a.m. taco spot. At, you know what I mean? Like, I found my favorite spots. They don't sponsor me yet, so I'm not going to say nothing. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> but no, um, I am starting to love the genuine heart of giving that I see in Peoria. Yeah. There's been a couple bumpy things, yeah. which, you know. If I'm, I'm a person that likes to call spades a spade, okay. I've dealt with some racism mm-hmm. here and there in pockets, yeah. which that's it it's going to exist. It, it exists, exists in Chicago, yes. it exists here, it right. exists anywhere. Oh, yeah. um, but I don't take those small occurrences as a uh, summation of what the community POR is. Right. From what I've seen as an outsider coming in, the community has been very welcoming. Yeah. They're very supportive. Once they feel like, once you gain the trust, they rock with you. That's it. You know, yeah. the thing about Peoria, you got it. You know, we are tough. We're tough on people. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you got to go through this hazing process. <laughs> we got to make sure that you're really down with us for real, for real. See, um, I wonder if that's a, an outsider thing because I, I 
I'm technically an outsider. I, I'm I'm coming from Chicago, born and raised, mm-hmm. comes to the community, and I remember somebody. I won't say his name, but he asked me flat out, like, are you here for a long time or are you here for a chapter? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not God. I can't tell you. But what I can tell you is I'm a... Do we invest in you or not? That's pretty much. I'm like, I think you should take my actions for what they are now. I have no intent of going anywhere. I love where I'm at now. And I'm going to give my heart to where I'm at. Because that's a God honest answer. And, I can't. And you can, but you can tell. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, seriously. And I think, that's, I think that's what it is about us. That, I mean, it's like certain people have been able to come here in a very brief period of time. We embrace you. Right? Because we see your heart and your commitment to the community. And then there are other people that, for whatever reason, just have a tough time. Connecting. I guess. I don't, I don't know. Plug me in, baby. I connect to everybody. Like, what's up? Dog? I don't know. I know. I know you were jamming at the parade. I like, oh, oh, yeah. I was vibing. Yeah, I was like, yo, what, yeah. what it oh, is? Let me, look, let me take Ron DMC off before I forget. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds um, me. You might be like, uh, Mom, I ain't know how to tell her to take the necklace off. <laughs> she does a lot. I let her take the chain. Uh, I don't know. Just it might be my people, please. You know? <laughs> um, before we do wrap up, I always like to ask my guests this question. I take these episodes as books, collecting people's stories. Mm-hmm. So I've had individuals like Kenneth Gobble talk about the importance of mental health and uh, suicide prevention. I've had uh, who do I? Derek Kilmer, the director of uh, In the Heights. Oh, that man's amazing. He had a lot. Uh, Jamie Trulove, Willie Williams, Becky Rossum, uh, so many different names. And I always ask this question of. When someone finishes reading your story, mm-hmm. what's the takeaway you want them to get? Mm-hmm. She, she cared. She cared. Two words. She cared. Period. She cared. I live for the dash. She cared. But why? Because I want to do things in this world that outlive me. You know, I want my daughter. Um, you know, things happen in natural ways that they should and that our kids shouldn't bury us, right? I want my daughter to say that was my mom. And this is what she stood for and legacy. I come from greatness. And so I have a, a strong responsibility to continue the legacy. I like that. And, and it, it's, the, the, it's the things that don't cost you anything. She cared. I don't want to be remembered because, you know, she wore cute clothes and drove a nice car. No. I want to be remembered for the difference that I've made by simply being kind to other people. The imprint you have on the community. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's dope. Um, if there's anybody that would like to reach out to find mental health services uh, from you or any services from uh, It Takes a Village, how can they get in contact with you? Okay, so don't come see me at the jail. How about that? I'm going to say that first. Let, let, you know what? I think there's a better way. <laughs> I think if that's your first method going in, we got some evaluation you know, to do, my okay. brother. You know? if, if you see me there. I mean, if we see you, welcome. If you happen to be there, it's fine. But I don't want you to come out there and get arrested. See? Yeah. Um, but yes, but it's, I have a private <laughs> practice located inside of the Twin Towers. Um, I'm on the first floor. I'm by appointment only. And they can call my phone number, 309-922-1969. Um, also with the Takes a Village, same number, because that is a personal phone number that has become public, and I don't mind. I've never had anybody huh. disrespect it. I've never had anybody, never had anybody call me 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been seeing that more and more here in Peoria, whereas in my mind, I'm like, my number's private. <laughs> oh, <I get> it. <laughs> Which it's, I'm like, wow, it's really community. Yeah, 
the community. You know what I mean? And and the, <laughs> yeah, same number. And so with the Texas Village, you know, I get people that say, you know, they call all the time. I mean, we we provide community service hours for individuals. You know, I mean, depending on how many hours you need, don't call me a week before they're due. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just saying. The due uh, tomorrow. I need eighty five. <laughs> Hey, All right, like, brother. On, I got a, I got a, like a garage that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Help me help you. Like, you can't slide me a couple hours. No. <laughs> what is this, Lucy? Like, come on, you know, hey, slide me one real quick. That's that, that's not how that works. No, we're not doing that, right? But no, but those numbers are how I can be reached. Um, yeah. Amazing. All right, can you believe we've been talking for a good hour? Are you serious? Yeah, it went by pretty quick. Really? Look at that. Um, another episode of the KZ Community Beat is now over. I'd like to thank Dr. Bernice Gordon-Young, the lead mental health provider at our Peoria County Jail, founder of It Takes a Village, and also candidate for Peoria City Council at large. Um, all right, go back. Check out all the other episodes. They're amazing. Tell your parents I said hi. All right, bye. <laughs>